It's a long walk to D.C., but I got my walking shoes on. All the way to Washington. I can't take a plane, pass a train, cause my money ain't that long. Hello and welcome to the Scrum Podcast. I'm Adam Riley. It's good to be back here in the WGBH News Studio after a break over the holidays. This week, Governor Deval Patrick is taking the long, lonely walk out of the State House, and Charlie Baker is walking on in. As you know, each week on the Scrum, we talk about media and politics from Beacon Hill to the Beltway with WGBHnews.org senior editor Peter Kadzis, who's sitting here to my left. Peter, how are your winter holidays? Winter holidays were great. I was just uh, stomping my boots to that music. (laughs) WGBH political analyst David Bernstein is also with us from what I think we're going to call the remote scrum studio in Richmond, Virginia. David, what's the mood in the remote studio? The mood is good here. I'm in a public radio uh, studio uh, down here in Richmond, so I'm enjoying it. I I just was enjoying that lead-in music you did. Is there still time as we record this to get in some final speculation about Deval Patrick leaving the governorship before the end of his term for, you know, maybe taking an ambassadorship (laughs) or something? Attorney general. Yeah, we've spent eight years doing this speculation, you know, because nobody believed that he would actually serve out the, the, the term. Is there still still time to get Not some me. Last? All right, well, let's, since, since we are talking about the end of Patrick's eight years in office, why was it so hard for him to put to rest the idea that he would bolt to become attorney general or to get ready to run for president or to do whatever else? Peter Kansas. It, it wasn't his problem. It was our problem. And we in the media, you mean? We, we in the media. He said he'd serve out eight, term, uh, eight years. He served out eight years. It's hard to quantify, but that has helped restore Massachusetts voters' faith in government in a small way. Hmm. How about faith that the highest levels of government will be used as an ends to themselves rather than a launching pad? Very good. It's Romney, it's Weld, it's Salucci. None of, none of them, you know, finished out their terms. And, and Deval Patrick put an end to the revolving door or the turnstile. And uh, that's not a major accomplishment, but it is an accomplishment. It, it's a temporary end to the revolving door. But look, the truth is that the people of the Commonwealth, certainly the, the media, thinks that the Commonwealth is very, very special, uh, is special anointing power of, of national political import. And so anyone who gets elected governor or senator is automatically assumed to be a huge national figure uh, going on to bigger and and better things, which has not been untrue, by the way. You know, we we've had a, <laughs> we've had quite a bit of that when you look at Dukakis and Mitt and Romney, John Mitt, Kerry, John no, and, Kerry, and there, there is and the, so on. The, the, the yeah, uh, the, you know, Duvall was a first, first African American governor. Um, um, uh, Barack was a first, the first. Mm-hmm. African-American president. They share the political consultant. Um, and a certain style of intensely moralistic, aspirational rhetoric. But all that aside, f- frankly, I, I think every time it came up with uh, Duvall, the people in the media, whom he never held in particularly high regard anyway, sank even lower because it was baseless. There was no foundation in fact. It was a fantasy. Okay, I can't really argue with your assessment, Peter, or yours, David, but I do think there's one piece that we need to include in this discussion, which is that Patrick was just such a phenomenal 
native political talent. I mean, I can't recall seeing anyone who sort of exploded when he was giving, you know, a, a stem winder of a speech the way the outgoing governor did. And that would include Barack Obama. David, you and I sat next to each other for that Obama speech at the Democratic National Convention in, in Boston a few years back. And that was a great speech. But I think Deval Patrick at his best was markedly better than Barack Obama at his best. D- D- Deval on the regular day is a better orator than uh, Barack Obama, who I, I, I think is a little bit overrated. Well, I would say that Obama is a very, very good speechwriter. When he wants to write a speech for a particular occasion, he can write a really impressive speech. And and I, I totally agree and I've always agreed that Deval Patrick is just much, much better delivering a speech, talking extemporaneously, um, and, and better than almost anyone uh, that you see do it. I, I, I don't think there are a lot of people on the national scene who compare. Yeah, I think you're right. And he also has what what I've always heard is is sort of the Bill Clinton magnetism, where when you're talking with him, you really feel like his attention is locked in on what you're saying and he's thinking about it, he's grappling with it, reckoning with it. In my personal experience, the three best I've ever met were, one, Bill Clinton, uh, who is truly in a class by himself. And tied for second place would be Frank Sargent, you know, mm-hmm. late Frank Sargent, old Yankee, charming, charming guy, slightly different form of charm than um, Deval Patrick. Former and, governor also, correct? Yes. And Deval Patrick, who I've compared to, I think he is the grace of Cary Grant in public. All right. So style aside, let's talk about the substance of his eight years in office. And when people look back, and it's already started um, what they're going to say he achieved and where they may end up saying that he fell short. As you both know, there was a big piece in the Boston Globe on this topic this past Sunday written by Michael Levinson. Tons of uh, tons of different examples cited in there, a lot of interviews done with Patrick administration veterans and people in the legislature. I would say on my first read, I thought it was a good piece. I'm a fan of Mike Levinson's work. And I tweeted something to the effect of, oh, this is a really good story by Mike Levinson, and immediately got very sharp pushback from Patrick administration veterans who thought that the piece completely sold the governor short. David, uh, you got some of that too, right? Or you watched this unfold on social media? You know, there was very aggressive uh, spinning on social media and and also directly to me. I uh, also tweeted that I thought it was a very good story. I also think uh, Levinson is is terrific uh, and did a very good piece. He's limited in terms of the space and the, and what he can cover uh, when you're talking about an entire administration. But I thought that that there were a couple things that Levinson didn't cover that I would have both positive and negative. The the two big ones, one on each side, was uh, uh, he didn't talk about the public face that Deval Patrick gave the state during moments of crisis. And in particular, uh, there was a, a water main break in early 2010, which doesn't sound like yes, that big no, a deal, no, but it was no. a very big deal in the state. And it came at a time when his popularity was very, very low. And and you could just feel uh, everything turning. As he got up there, you know, he was wearing the FEMA jacket and all that, which became sort of a, a you know running joke that he should just wear the FEMA was it jacket, a jacket all the time. Or a vest. I recall a vest. Sort of a, I'm yes. sorry. It, it, yes, it was a vest. Uh, and there was a. Oh, you pedant. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, help me here. I've, my memory is Thank you for the fact checking. 
Thank you for the fact checking. I take it back. Uh, and it was a Mima. I said FEMA. Let me before the fact checking uh, uh, moderator there gets gets me again. Mima, Massachusetts Emergency Management. He was just so in charge, and and people felt so uh, so at ease at, with the fact of him being governor. He sort of grew into the governorship at that moment. And you saw it also with uh, his response to things like the weather damage out in western Massachusetts. You know, Monroe uh, got really devastated and other places out there. People well, felt uh, like uh, he was in charge in that sense. The, the, yeah. mar- the marathon bombings. And the reason I, yeah. I, I bring that up is because it happened on Menino's turf, but the governor had to play it both ways, be the leader of the state but not overshadow the mayor, yeah. it, it was a diplomatic challenge that he was really up to. Um, actually, thought just occurs to me, you know, I think he would at some point like to go back into public life. He would be a natural diplomat. David, what were some of the uh, maybe things that didn't work out so well for the governor that you think the Globe left out? To me, the big failure of the Patrick administration was his failure to recognize that Judy Ann Bigby was not up to the job of being the executive secretary of the, the executive office of health and human services. She was very good in some ways, uh, you know, great at setting policy, policy agenda and that sort of thing. But she was just, she didn't have managerial control over that just enormous sprawling uh, executive secretariat. And she was the longest lasting of his original uh, cabinet appointments, was there six years In my opinion, at least, a lot of the managerial disasters that have come up, whether it's the pharmacy compounding thing, uh, whether it's uh, the the website for the health connector, uh, things that that some of which were in the piece. It's not the Levinson ignored those. DCF, for instance, is under that secretariat. So you just thought there was a bigger picture there. Right. And, And I think that it wasn't just, you know, these isolated elements that went wrong. It was something about him not having the the management, you know, whatever it was, the management expertise or something about her or whatever it was, it was very specific to that situation that I think was not explored in the Levinson yeah, piece. Let, let me, by the way, I thought the Levinson piece was very strong. You know, look, I'm not surprised that the the Patrick administration might be thin-skinned. You know, they, they all worked hard. I mean, I, I think the... Um, the big mistake or shortcoming the governor had in regards to her was good intentions aren't enough. I think that, that part of what's happening, and, and you see it in the pushback to this Levinson article, is that the, the criticisms of the governor tend to be coming from uh, a look at procedural aspects right. of things. He you know, had a big and, idea about reforming transportation, and he didn't give the legislature a heads up, right? For right, example. right. Which, by the way, by the way, I can tell you, people were very bitter about that specific one. But, but look, they they had uh, they didn't have good relationships with him in, in a lot of different ways, for a lot of different reasons. You hear a lot about that, but it's beyond that. It's you, you go out, and a lot of the media did not like dealing with this administration. A lot of the the sort of believers in him from the beginning 
uh, feel disappointed that he didn't come through with, you know, in big ways on on things like uh, criminal justice reform and so forth. But there, there was, was a very Corey interesting reform under his watch, right? Which is one of the, uh, one of the attainments that they proudly claim. And, and, this, is, and, and this is what this is what the the Patrick people uh, their pushback, and you can understand it, but it's also not the full truth. Their pushback is you can't judge it by whether we made you know these people happy or whether we worked well with these right. people or the, you know. But but look at what he actually did accomplish, and and the truth is. Um, you know, he didn't accomplish what he should have accomplished or, or could have accomplished or, or wanted to accomplish on criminal justice reform. He did get something. And, yeah, and I, I, you I, can look, also look inside. Uh, you know, they don't get a lot of credit, I think, for what happened inside uh, the Department of Labor or, or other places because there just isn't conflict there for people to report about and pay attention to. I do want to point, but, uh, throw in one uh, thing that I just was fascinated by this morning. Um, I mentioned, you know, sort of the true believers who are frustrated uh, there's a consultant by the name of Matt Barron uh, out in the western part of Massachusetts. He tweets under the name Mr. Rural, and he tweeted— Mr. Rural is this, a great handle. Isn't That's, that a great handle? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he tweeted this morning, and I'm quoting here, By far the absolute worst decision in my 39 years of electoral politics was backing Deval Patrick in 2005. Nothing but heartburn. Feeling that you have to— Get that off your chest and say it publicly in a tweet the day that, that Patrick is leaving office. There's a lot could, of that Could this that guy be a pathological narcissist? Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> well, he is in Massachusetts politics, so I think that answers your question <laughs> <Okay>. right there. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, look, Governor Patrick and most governors, he, he sort of plays two roles. The figurative head of state, which he was really good at and which psychologically is really, really important. You know, when he got on the bully pulpit and, and educated the state on things like um, solar power, say— we have on renewable energy, yeah, clean now, energy. But by the way, I think he oversold it. But th- that's me being cynical. But well, the, the fact import- that, that you, major utilities are now pulling out of their deals with Cape Wind would suggest uh, that. Yeah, but d- declining oil prices have something to do with yeah, that too. I, I mean, the thing is, just because I don't buy the rhetoric doesn't mean he put that on the agenda. Duvall was very good at wielding soft power, getting people to think in other ways. Now, just because they didn't go as far as he went, and sometimes I think he did go too far, doesn't mean that he wasn't a success. And then there's the working head of government. And, you know, that was not where he was the strongest. But so what? It's now Charlie Baker's problem. Let's talk a little bit about Charlie Baker, who, by the way, I don't know if you guys have heard about this. There's this local band. They're called the Dropkick Murphys, sort of a, an <laughs> really? aggressive Irish infused. They are indeed, or some <laughs> suburb. I, I, I'm kind of muddled on it. It gets a little fuzzy. They're going to be playing at Charlie Baker's inauguration. What do you think about that? I was hoping for, like, Lester Lannon or someone. but Wait, who is Lester Lannon? Oh, I'm you, laughing even you, though I don't you, know who it is. Peter Duchin, you know, is he still alive? That's more David, Republican. do you know all these references? I, I, I have to admit I don't. I, I, was thinking, I thought you were going to say the, the Grateful Dead, some, you know, maybe Fish or something, because that was Bill Weld's choice. I'm being an old fuddy-duddy. By the way, I, I want to say that, that, that Charlie Baker— He's, he really likes music. He's, he's very serious about, you know, it's pretty traditional standard rock music. Listen, uh, my, my, but, my, but my very... son Will has three Dropkick Murphy T-shirts, so, you know. <laughs> the kids love him. How about— and by, the, and by the way, I don't know, Adam or Peter, if either of you went to 
the big inaugural party for Deval Patrick back in, uh, I guess it would be January 2007, down at the uh, convention center in South Boston. But that was a huge shindig with multiple bands of, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it, you know, Charlie can't compare with that. I think I remember hearing somewhere that that uh, Governor Baker enjoys the work of seminal 90s hard rock band Guns N' Roses. Does that uh, sound he's right? He's a big Green Day fan. Oh, actually. interesting. Yeah. Really? Uh, I, I, think, d- I didn't know that. Yeah, and, I didn't and, know that and, and he likes a lot of punk music. He, he, he can cite uh, the Ramones. You know, I do this, uh, this thing on Facebook where I yes. do a political birthday of the day and I give a – anyway, it's a whole song, a name song a song thing. That is an, uh, name a song in some way related to this person whose yeah, special I, day it I, is. I, yeah, so people can friend me on Facebook if they want to take part in this, you know. And, and uh, anyway, but he takes part in it. He chips in, and, and it's always uh, I'm always kind of amazed that he doesn't play it politically safe. He'll name you know like the Ramones beat on the bread or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he really, I had a conversation with him in 2010 uh, on the campaign trail because I asked him, uh, I asked him at the end of an interview. Uh, what song he would choose for the W if he was on the WFNX uh, My Song versus Your Song contest, which I won't try to explain here, but he couldn't come up with an easy answer because he had we had a long discussion about it, <laughs> and and he went through like possible Green Day songs and uh, uh, and we talked about he had taken his kids to see Green Day on the American Idiot tour. Uh, he had, he had seen I believe he had seen uh, Jay Z in concert. You wow. Know, he, he, yeah, Catholic so, lowercase c tastes on the part yeah, of the exactly, government. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. So uh, anyway, I think we may be off the off the track. I we, yeah, well, no, little... no, but I mean, this is great. I guess we haven't talked about anything of substance that we should be watching for <laughs> from the governor-elect or as some listeners, you know, be the governor when some people are listening. Peter, first few weeks of the Baker-Polito administration, what are you looking for? Well, I don't know specifically what I'm looking for. Listen, the big issue is going to be the budget shortfall. This has happened before. I was talking to uh, Charlie Manning, Republican consultant, the other day, and Charlie said, look, it's, it, there's going to be the budget shortfall. The serious people are going to work together, and things will probably get off to a pretty good start. And, you, you know, that's pretty much what I'm going to look for. After six months, who knows? By the way, I'm not predicting good. I'm not predicting bad. I just think that the budget shortfall is um, going to be a serious enough problem that um, with with Weld, that got things off to a good start. And, David, you know more about, I mean, you watched Romney closer than I did. I, I, I think even though Romney's relations with the legislature were more problematic, I think that budget shortfall helped put things in a constructive light. David, what do you well, see coming? Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I think that they sort of had to deal with, with that budget shortfall when Romney came in. And of course, Romney had come in with this, you know, sort of ridiculous claim that that he was going to cure the the budget shortfall just by you know tightening up you know loose management problems and uh, waste and fraud said, and mis, uh, mismanagement was mentioned frequently, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it'll go a little bit smoother with with Baker uh, for the reasons that Peter was saying. But it's very interesting to me that you just had today. Dan Rosenberg's speech uh, upon taking over as Senate president, I did not hear. I was not in the chamber, but I was following it pretty closely and uh, and have some you know versions of what he said. Uh, I don't see that he said anything about uh, really tackling that budget shortfall. In fact, he talked about expanding the uh, uh, the earned income tax credit, which would add to the the problem. 
um, which is something that Baker wants to do with the EITC. Uh, I don't expect to hear much from uh, DeLeo about how he plans to deal with it uh, when he gives his speech, uh, which is maybe may taking place as we speak, uh, as we record this. Um, I, I don't think that, that any of them, any of the three of them, of the big triumvirate are really tipping their hands about it. Hmm. And I think that that actually bodes well uh, for the idea that they're going to work together behind the scenes uh, to try to figure out how to at least get through this this opening round that they have to deal with. All right. Well, we have to leave the Baker-related prognostication there. But before we wrap up this week, we asked you to send in your political resolutions for 2015, and we got a bunch of good ones. Here are a few of them. This is Michelle Wu, Boston City Councilor at Large, and my New Year's resolution after my first year as a city councilor and first two weeks as a new mom is to really appreciate the little things in 2015. I want to treasure each little moment and milestone in my son's first year and my husband's first year of being a dad. And similarly for the city, I want to really highlight all the little things in each neighborhood that make Boston an amazing place. Oh, and sleep. I need to figure out how to get more of that with the baby. Thanks, Scrum, and Happy New Year. Hi, this is Garrett Quinn from MassLive.com. And this is Jill Quinn from Cengage Learning. My resolutions for 2015 are to stare at my phone less and go to a barber more frequently. My re- <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> when arguing a point of view, remember that your mom, grandmother, kid, whomever could be listening. Keep it civil, people. My name is Amy Derju, and that's my resolution, both for myself and for Mapoli. Hi, I'm Mike Ross. I resolve to cook at home more often. I resolve to stop getting angry when I get mail for the character Mike Ross in Suits that shares my name, or the soccer player in Ireland, or the former U.S. representative from Arkansas. I've recently been appointed to the Council of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. So, as a former member of the Boston City Council... I am now a council member once again. I therefore resolve to be an even better council member this time around. And finally, I resolve to never again laugh at, and certainly never offer any versions of my own, of the that's-what-she-said joke that certain (laughs) friends of mine can't stop saying. It wasn't funny the first time. It just isn't funny the hundredth time. I shouldn't even do this because, you know, WGBH is a proud institution with a proud history. I, I thought that that's what she said joke was funny at the beginning and funny for the better part of my adolescence into my early 20s. Peter, you're giving me I'm getting nothing from you. I'm, David's not chuckling. No, no you guys comment. Are very highbrow. No comment. <laughs> All right. A couple more resolutions. Amy had some good solid advice. Think about your mother listening. So, you know, point taken, my wife, my daughters. All right. That that joke is not funny anymore and never was. Uh, Listener Diane Masters wrote to us at scrum at WGBH.org and told us she resolves to unfollow any journalist who talks about Maura Healy running for governor in 2018 or any journalist who talks about Elizabeth Warren running for president. Oh, too bad I'm a married man. Who is this woman? (laughs) (laughs) She did some work on the the Healy campaign, as I recall, right, Uh, David? That's right. Yeah. Uh, She says her Twitter feed will be getting shorter for sure in the new year. (laughs) Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson told us on Twitter that he plans to continue his extreme workout routine, hashtag Project Buddy Love, that helped him lose 35 pounds and to end up under 240 pounds. What do you guys think about that? I'm jealous. But Buddy Love? But yeah, is that, Project Buddy is Love. That a, 
I was inspired gonna touch by the that, former but... by the former uh, mayor of Providence. Is that uh, never thought of that? I don't know because you know Buddy's in good shape. You know, in terms of his weight, I mean, you know, it seems like Project Buddy Love it, could it, connote a whole wide range of. Of different well, if it involves approaches. eating, uh, if it involves eating uh, Buddy Cianci's pasta and yeah. uh, and sauce, uh, I, I could go for that. Uh, I don't know that I would lose a lot of weight. No, and no that. money would go to charity, but it'd be tasty, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Republican uh, Jeff Simone, who does some work for the Mass Young Republicans, also wrote in: My resolution is to lose twenty pounds by the end of February, or I will donate one hundred dollars to Elizabeth Warren. And uh, he also took it upon himself to offer a resolution for the senior senator, writing, My resolution for Senator Warren is for her to actually explain her plans instead of using nebulous straw man arguments. You think she uses nebulous straw man arguments? Mm, on occasion. No. Well, maybe on occasion. Um, there is a, um, a, a shorthand there. there. There is a shorthand there. But um, she's against untrammeled privilege. Uh, David? Yeah, and I, I, think there's, I think there's solid uh, substance behind her key oh, yeah. proposals. She untrammeled privilege it, is but... a good thing to be against. All right, all that That's being said, true. thanks to Jeff Simone and everyone else who wrote in or weighed in with an audio resolution. We appreciate it. We'll hit you up again next year. As always, you can reach us at scrum at wgbh.org. Peter Kadzis and David Bernstein, thanks for joining me this week. Can I just point out, but as we've been talking about governors of Massachusetts coming and going, I'm in a state right now where they uh, just yesterday uh, sentenced uh, the recent governor to two years in a federal pen. So yeah. I, I was so, kind of jealous, so, David. <laughs> jealous as, as, a, as a scribe, as, a, as yeah. a political reporter. But always remember, things could be worse with your governors. Yeah. Actually, I'd, I'd like to end on what I guess is a corny note, but I'd like to say thanks to Governor Patrick and wish Governor Baker good luck. All right. On that upbeat note, next week I will be speaking with a Massachusetts power couple, Dorchester reporter, editor, and publisher Bill Forey and State Senator Linda Dorsina Forey. If you like what you hear from the Scrum, please subscribe to it in iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a review. You can find links to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and to past episodes of the Scrum including a pretty terrific Scrum remix done by Edgar B. Herwick III here at WGBH on our website, which is wgbhnews.org slash scrum. Our producer is Abby Ruzica, and we had help this week from engineer Alan Mattis. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Deadline.